Welcome to the Purpose and Principles podcast. Super excited today to have a, a good friend of mine on the phone, and uh, his name is Gerald Johnson. Gerald Johnson is the Executive Vice President of Global Manufacturing at General Motors. He leads the GM's Global Manufacturing, Manufacturing Engineering, and Labor Relations Organizations, and he's a member of the GM Senior Leadership Team. Um, and prior to that, I know, Gerald, you've been in many, many roles at General Motors. You started in 1980, if I'm not mistaken, in many different roles. And I'm really grateful for your time that you join us today. Thank you, Max. Good to be here. It, for me, one of the things that I just, you drew me in, and we've, of course, as I mentioned, you know, I've known you for a long time, but you've, you've been driven by purpose for a long time. And so I thought this would be a great opportunity to get your voice and your your take on why purpose is important. Could you just start with what is your personal purpose and how does it guide you as a leader? Sure. Uh, if I was to sum up my personal purpose, it would be something like helping everyone find their purpose hmm. and therefore their place of success. Hmm. And I got married to the idea of being clear about purpose probably 20 years ago uh, when I heard a man say something that I thought was profound. Where purpose is not understood, abuse is inevitable. Hmm. And so his whole point was, if you really don't know what you're doing and why you're here to do it, the chances are that you're doing something that's not best for you or best for the community or the generation that you find yourself in the midst of. Ooh, so really like I sat that. back and thought about that and thought about myself. I've always enjoyed solving problems. That's mm -hmm. why I have a you know, an inclination towards math and science and those types of things. But even more so as I grew towards understanding people mm -hmm. and the needs of pe people and seeing people who were out of sync with their own purpose, either knowingly or unknowingly, that's when it became clear to me that that was most important. And then organizationally, we talk about fit, uh, which would be another term organization that we're comfortable with finding the right fit for people. Mm -hmm. um, and I get that. And so the thing is, though, that I think we all have a, a fit into all our contexts, a fit inside of an organization that we're part of, a fit inside of the community that we're part of, a fit inside of the family that we're part of, a fit inside of the generation that we're part of. In my case, starting in 1962 and hopefully running well past 2050 would be pretty good. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> But what you talked about, boy, you hit me hard, actually, with that. And um, man, my head's spinning, actually, just thinking about how you define purpose. And if you don't have one, um, that the negative the negative is really real. And knowing if you have a fit. What about those who feel like they don't have a fit? What do they do? What do they do to find their place? Uh, uh, first of all, you pause and, and acknowledge, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because we're all going to get up every day and do something. Mm-hmm. The sad part is if we're doing something that's not aligned, then we are probably hurting something or certainly underperforming to our own expectations, as well as perhaps the expectation of those around us. And no one wants to get up every day and feel unaccomplished mm -hmm. and feel like they're failing, in fact, mm -hmm. uh, even to their own expectations or to the expectations of another. So the first thing I always recommend is you ask people that should know. And I believe in going all the way back to the beginning. So mm. if you're fortunate enough to have parents that are still alive, go ask them what they saw in you when you were younger, a uh, man or, or, or young lady, mm. uh, your friends, go ask them. And the reason I go that far back, and I know it seems far, but that far back is because 
it's a time before you learn how to hide and compensate and overcome. Uh, it tends to be more pure and, and insightful. And hopefully that starts to put you in, in places that uh, make you rethink how you ended up where you are versus something that you felt more natural, more real, more pure earlier in your life. So it's, it's just, it's more intentional way of living, it sounds like. Absolutely. I, I mean, many of us, I'm sure, have uh, heard of Rick Warren's book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, mm -hmm. that went absolutely bonkers, you know, and, and continues to go bonkers. Mm -hmm. and, and everything that has spun off of that, uh, the realization that it's worth the while to invest time in figuring out purpose so that you can get your life aligned and feel more in sync and purposeful or like you're doing meaningful work every day. Yeah. Well, and, and you're leading a massive team at General Motors. Uh, what are you looking for when it comes to successful leaders and people who want to aspire to a, a, a new opportunity, if you will? What are you looking for? What, what kind of gives you that gut feeling that says, I trust this person or I can work with that person? Well, trust is character and mm -hmm. you have to trust everyone. Uh, what, what I'm looking for in individuals uh, may depend on their role in the organization. I certainly would expect some different uh, skills and capabilities in a senior leader that uh, may be reporting directly to me mm -hmm. than someone who may be uh, further in the organization or deeper in the organization uh, carrying out more tactical assignments. Mm -hmm. But for each one of those, I think there is um, evidence that you can succeed at the level of responsibility. But if I just go to senior leader, I, first, first things I look for is the ability to operate in ambiguity hmm. and to bring order from chaos hmm. or order from, from where there is no order. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing uh, when you become a, a senior, which essentially means that uh, people are expecting you to set the course uh, of the business or of the function for the future. Then you have to be able to look into a future that's uncertain, uh, undefined uh, to one degree or another and bring something that is understandable to your organization that they can align with. Hmm. The second piece is judgment. And I say judgment because uh, data is not always complete, not always available. Mm -hmm. And so you have to uh, draw connections from uh, bits of data and information that may or may not uh, be well assembled yet. Mm -hmm. Again, if you're looking towards the future, and something that's more ambiguous. But even in looking at the problems of the day, you never have enough data to make perfect decisions, or rarely, I should say. Mm -hmm. And therefore, judgment uh, becomes important, which is born out of experience and exposures. But it's really what you do with all that experience and exposure to bring it to bear on the problems of the day. Boy, it, it brings to mind for me as well that there, there has to be a level of confidence, but but mixed with that, a level of humility to say, hey, I might not have all the information here, and we're, but we still have to make a decision. How do, how do people manage that? What do you recommend to people who are struggling with that balance of you know, confidence and a level of humility to real, realize that you, both, you need both? Yeah. It is a, a leadership capability. Generally speaking, I find people have not ascended to the organization very far before they realize they really need input from multiple sources hmm. in their team and perhaps even outside of their team directly so that they can aggregate as much information as is necessary to bring the best decisions forward. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I generally find 
and I certainly personally have found, there comes a point in, the, in your career where you simply can't know it all. Mm-hmm. And you realize that very quickly and you very quickly learn to ask people who know uh, portions thereof or uh, people who or groups of people who in aggregate can synergize something uh, bigger than all their individual uh, experience bases. You have to do that. And the humility of it is the first time you run up against a decision you tried to make on your own and, and it collapsed. Mm. Man. And how, how did, how, when, when did you learn that lesson in your life? Oh, it's actually, it's kind of funny. There, there's a, there's a time when I was uh, working in a facility in Grand Blanc, Michigan, and I had the responsibility at the time of coordinating the efforts of service parts the components that we build and ship to support repair activities at a dealership. Mm-hmm. And we had long lead times and therefore uh, we had um, uh, excess parts and banked and floor space uh, assigned for that purpose. And the, and the responsibility was to shrink that floor space because we had other needs and we we're trying to avoid capital uh, expenditures to expand the building itself. Mm-hmm. Well, that involved a lot of people. And so, so as a young man as I was, I sat down and I sized up, I pulled out uh, uh, my book, The Goal, and started working through the principles and uh, laid out a strategy, et cetera. And I never would again, I went down to talk to one of the uh, superintendents that were responsible for the storage space. And he was really just not interested in my wonderfully assembled personal singular idea. Uh-huh. And so I, had to go back up to my office, lick my wounds, and then decide to come back and ask him, as well as the materials person and the scheduling person and the manufacturing person to come together mm-hmm. and spend an hour talking about why this opportunity matters and then what can we actually do in, tum- in terms of coming together with a solution. And that was an eye opener for me because, frankly, I-, I shortened the story, but it was painful to realize that my best ideas weren't um, weren't the ones that were going to be accepted mm-hmm. and weren't going to carry the day. Boy, it, it, I mean, I'm smiling as you tell that story because I'm thinking about all the leaders out there right now that have been there, done that, and they're feeling the pressure of every single day trying to achieve the results we have to achieve. And And yet you're saying, when I take the time and when I did take the time to go get input from everyone, and it took me an extra hour to do that, I actually... Got, got things done better than if I would have just tried to do this on my own. Yes. And even today, uh, Max, I try to make sure I don't consume too much of my team's time mm. for rote activities mm-hmm. so that I can utilize their time for uh, these, made, usually not quite spur of the moment, uh, right. but quick to decide and quick to rally and understand things. Um, and leave enough time for us to, to do that versus setting around, setting time to look in the rearview mirror and talk about things that happened yesterday, last week, um, just to status things versus to solve things. Yep. No, I love that. I love that. And for me, um, the way you've, um, well, I've watched you in meetings, I've seen you lead, and, and it, it's inspiring to me to be able to see how you pivot and you adjust and allow people to be able to have a voice 
And sometimes you're really, really patient just hearing people and, and making sure that they have a voice. So is there, are there leadership principles that guide you in your behavior, that direct you in this? Because I obviously you have this this long career and this this experience, but are there leadership principles that ground you in the way you do this and how you how you make decisions? The one that I'll call it a leadership principle is the is the reality that the team will get to the right answer if given the right information and, and opportunity. Hmm. So it's my goal to make sure one, where as much as possible without my uh, engaging that information is fluid and flowing. Hmm. Um, I, I firmly believe that the only difference between a person in my organization that may be carrying out one role and another person carrying out another role or even carrying out my role is what information they get to see and have access to. Mm-hmm. So if I get the right information on the table and yes, there is some patience to answer questions and clarify uh, information, clarify an, an objective, clarify constraints. But we have a lot of smart people, and there are a lot of smart people. And again, with the right information, right constraints, the right um, understanding, they'll come up with uh, good decisions. And in fact, their decisions will ultimately be better than mine individually. And so you wait for it. Wow. You know, the, the <laughs> little saying today, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> for it right and so you sit in the room and you listen and you hear some great ideas and maybe some not so great ideas and you kind of see it get stirred around and then you got to make sure the strong voice isn't winning just because of strength and and you wait for it well you bring up an interesting point there though right so yeah you do wait for it and then you you mentioned you know making sure that the strong voices aren't the only thing that are heard how do you make that conversation safe for people a lot of people talk about this and, you know, it's important to get, you know, input from different people, but I mean, you have a lot of demands on your time. How, how do you, how do you make this a, a priority? It, it takes some accumulation of trust, right? Mm-hmm. Trust mm-hmm. takes some time uh, in how you handle those conversations over time. So people feel comfortable and confident. Mm-hmm. So for the first time, of course, everyone may still be waiting for, you know, whoever is the, you know, the, the weightiest person in the room by title to uh, sum up and make the decision, if you will. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do that, if you don't take that role on, and if you ask questions, which I find is the uh, the, the best way to instigate a conversation, you ask questions until people start to feel comfortable throwing it, and then how you react when they put their idea on the table, mm-hmm. which is really precious to them. And you've got to handle it like it's precious cargo because it meant a lot for them to get it out. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, you build trust and the people build confidence until it becomes the norm for healthy debate and discussion to take place um, to help us get to the best decisions. Well, it takes some guts. Take some guts as a leader to be able to say, you know, not only do I have to be patient to hear what's going to be said, but also to trust the fact that what they what they're going to share, even if I don't agree, it's still valuable because they had the guts to bring it up. Absolutely. Hmm. Can you tell me a time when uh, maybe a leader influenced you or gave you an opportunity to learn something that you didn't think, or maybe you didn't feel like you had the the confidence in yourself, but that they had in you that you were able to do more because of that trust they had in you? Actually, I can. Um, it was. It actually goes back to an experience I had when I was working overseas, hmm. and I was actually um, I had stepped into the role of a person who had prior to had that role 
um, before me and then had been promoted. So it was this difficult moment of the guy who just did my job is now my supervisor. Mm -hmm. So, of course, everything that I'm stepping into is kind of formed and created by him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I was appreciative of his openness to hear new perspectives from me on things that he may have put in place and thought were right and directionally correct and things that needed to be changed. But I'll never forget when we were in a particular meeting with his supervisor even, and we're working through some tough problems and we needed to make some hard decisions and some uh, aggressive commitments. And, you know, he, he spoke up right away and he made a very aggressive commitment of a target that we would achieve in a very aggressive time frame. And it really caught me off guard because lo and behold, his commitment becomes my commitment. And so as we're leaving the meeting, I said, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. You know, and I know we don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And he said something that that struck me. He says, we will all be smarter tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And he was willing to take on a challenging commitment, actually raise his hand and throw a challenge commitment on the table that he was prepared to be accountable for because we'll all be smarter tomorrow and smarter yet three months from now and we will figure it out that resonated with me i try to carry that forward to all my uh, meetings and and challenges and goals with my team Mm -hmm. that we'll be smarter three months from now so we can make commitments to things that we don't know how to do because we'll be smarter when it comes time and we'll work through it and we'll figure it out I love that. And and you often say to your teams, it, it, in my words, I remember you always sharing with people, we can always do it better. It can always be improved. Everything can be made better. Everything can uh, be made that, better. That's yeah. right. I had an opportunity to codify that in one of my roles, uh, leading operational excellence here for General Motors. Uh, but I really have believed that for some time, but we codified it and it actually has caught on. You'll hear numbers of people around General Motors acknowledging Everything can be made better. Yeah, really enjoy that, and that's such a great, such a great piece of uh, of wisdom from a leader as well. Oh, thank you for sharing that. If is there anything that you wish you would have learned earlier in your career uh, that would have been helpful? Maybe for those who are listening right now, saying, "Man, I wish someday I could be in a leadership position uh, like Gerald's in, or you know, have an opportunity to be able to influence that kind of." industry or people or that amount of people or to do cool things in my life, what would, what would you say you wish you would have known earlier? Uh, in two short words, own, own it. Mm. And I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, I was at the time a, a supervisor, group leader in the plant and a vice president of our uh, business unit was visiting the plant and he was having uh, a kind of a fireside chat. Uh, with a group of us. And he talked about, you know, when he was a group leader, he thought when he became a general supervisor or or superintendent, he could solve all the problems. And so he waited until he was a superintendent. But then when he became a superintendent, he realized if he could only become a plant manager, he could solve all the problems. Hmm. So he was waiting until he was going to become a plant manager to solve some of his problems. And then when he became a plant manager, he felt like, you know, being a regional manager, he could solve the problems. And he got all the way to vice president and realized that he had missed a number of opportunities to solve more problems in his prior roles and that we should never let that happen. And I listened to him and I really realized, who told you you couldn't 
go across the aisle and talk to someone over there to solve a problem. You know, I, I find that we put boundaries and barriers that we put in place that others never put in place. And so I remember a, a, a leader telling me, until someone tells you you can't, mm-hmm. believe you can. Mm. And I call that owning it. Mm-hmm. And I try and tell people, don't give power away. Mm-hmm. If you think you can do it, you can until someone tells you you can't do it for some reason you don't mm-hmm. have the budget the resources you know the authority but don't assume that you don't have budget resources or authority assume you do mm-hmm. solve the issue and go as far as you can until someone tells you you can't wow that's I'm, I'm i'm thinking about leaders on the floor and hearing that message how do people respond when you tell them hey this is this is you this is this is your opportunity and you're out there in a factory somewhere and and people hear that what what do you hope that they'll do um i've actually had those conversations and uh, fortunately they they start nodding their head because you know well, it usually comes on the table because of some problem that's said, well what are you doing about that? And they'll go, well, you know, so-and-so, you know, needs to really, you know, take that on. I said, mm-hmm. why, who said that? Who told you you couldn't? Mm-hmm. And they think back and it's not that anyone told them that they couldn't, but they assume they couldn't, or they never saw anyone else at their level of the organization do it. So they assume that it wasn't an acceptable you know, practice or action to take mm-hmm. on their part. And so they start nodding their heads. Now, sometimes they admit and they say, hey, you know, last time I tried to do X, so-and-so, you know, told me I couldn't. I said, okay, that's a legitimate boundary. Let's go look at, you know, why that would be the case. Mm-hmm. And let's challenge that or hand off that particular issue or challenge to the person then who, who does own it, but then be there to support them as they execute or try to solve it. Yeah. So I love that you you actually try to close the loop on it as well. So it's not just a standalone statement that people feel like there's no traction here, but you're actually saying not only should you go do it, but if you do run into it, let's find out why and do the research on if it stops, why? Yeah, and I get it. That can be difficult. That can be scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, sometimes you know we're, we're not feeling uh, empowered to do that, right? Uh, by reality or by perception, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. We don't feel the power to do that. And so part of my responsibility, I think, as a leader is to empower people and tell them you can do that or you can certainly try to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and frankly, that you're you're there to support them as much as they can to go with. And, and if they own that, go. Absolutely. Okay. So what brings you joy in your work? What brings you joy in all of this work and what gets you excited about the years ahead? I mean, you've been a part of this journey at General Motors for well, a few decades now, almost four decades. And uh, that's that's Thanks serious. For that reminder, uh, Max. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> you only get so many of those, by the way. Yeah, I know. I apologize. Uh, but the um, the thing that uh, excites me is the thing that has always excited me: mm-hmm. watching teams accomplish things they didn't think they could accomplish. Mm-hmm. That really excites me. Mm-hmm. Um, helping people solve problems that they didn't think was uh, could be solved. Mm-hmm. That excites me, and it, but, and it has always excited me. And so that's what I love about my job. One, we don't run out of problems to go solve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> problems are everywhere. Opportunities are everywhere. So you don't run out. Uh, so there's always something to work on that's challenging and yet exciting. But more importantly, watching the lights come on when people actually do something that they think didn't think they could do. Or 
that they may have even been told they couldn't do yeah. even better to see those lights come on uh, in my organization uh, excites me. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is I, I fully believe that uh, it's my responsibility to create an environment where people feel safe, mm -hmm. both physically and psychologically, mm -hmm. uh, an environment where people feel like they are doing meaningful work uh, for meaningful outcomes. And, uh, you know, lastly, to give them an opportunity for them to feel what it feels like to be successful at something. And there's a lot of somethings in General Motors to do a lot of jobs and lots of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. But to make people uh, see people experience that success that, as you know, just breeds confidence for them to take on yet another challenge. And when that starts to happen, you just see this synergy take place. And that gets really exciting. Yeah. Uh, how, I, again, I'm smiling because I wish more leaders um, believed and articulated it the way you have. And some, I think, are nodding their heads saying, yeah, that's what we do. I mean, that's what we do. But there's examples, at least in my experience, where I'm on the floor or I'm walking a factory or I'm talking with leaders where I haven't seen psychological safety. So how do you encourage leaders to make it safe and to be able to get people more engaged, more excited about their work so that we can get these better continuous improvement efforts and better quality, better value for our customer. How do we get leaders to really embrace this when they think they're already there? Uh, of course, first I have to embrace it. So this, this is how this thing cascades mm -hmm. uh, in one man's opinion, mind you. Mm -hmm. right? uh, I often tell uh, my team, individuals as I coach and counsel them, you know, there comes a point in the organization and your responsibility as a leader uh, that you realize all you have is three things to work with. You have your words, you have your example, and you have resources. Mm -hmm. I don't build anything. I run manufacturing and I don't build a thing mm -hmm. uh, personally with my own hands. And so my job is with my words to inspire people to build or to solve the problems that keep us from building or meeting our customer expectations. I have to set an example of it. Uh, and then I have to judge where to put limited resources across the organization with some sense of uh, priority. I think that helps me move people uh, as well as show people how to, to, uh, to act and lead and, and to address issues and it helps people to align. I say all that to your question because um, that's how I think I convey to my team by word, by example, and by how I handle uh, resources and or opportunities to create safe places for people to do their best work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, it, it does start with where we're at, right? And we lead where we are. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, that's what we have. And so uh, um, I tell young leaders, uh, prepare for your 2000 person moment. Hmm. And, you know, for us in General Motors, a, um, a typical size of a plant operation is 2,000 people. Yeah. And one day you will have to move the hearts and minds, uh, the wheels, the performance of 2,000 people. You have to be prepared for that. And oh, by the way, all you get are real words. Mm -hmm. So learn how to use your words to not only inform, but to inspire. Learn how to use your words to create a safe environment by how you respond to people. Yeah. Learn how to use your words because there comes a point in your leadership that's really all you have. Yeah. 
I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I could I could uh, have this conversation with you today. I, I I've I've seen you on the floor. I've seen you engage people on the floor and and just be genuinely curious about the work that they're doing, and to see them light up because you care about what they're doing and that you genuinely care about what they're doing uh, has meant a lot to them. I hope listeners today are feeling that and feel that that compelling need to go out and ask more questions, to be more curious, to create more psychological safety on the floor, where wherever that's at. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, just, that's, that's, that's huge. That's our high calling when you find yourself in a leadership role, whether yeah. it's a group of five or a group of a hundred or two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to help them find meaningful work, and that means you have to put meaning into the work. And they have to connect to the meaning of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that's leadership. Yeah. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, Gerald. I, is, there, is there one last piece of advice you could share with us, uh, particularly leaders who might be looking for new opportunities or considering how to improve their way of being? Um, anything you'd share for them? Yeah, take on the tough challenge. Mm. That's risky. Yeah, it, it, it is risky. But leadership is risky. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you sit in a room with your, your supervisor and you ask him or her what it is that uh, keeps them up at night or what are they struggling with or what's the tough project or opportunity, um, and then raise your hand and step into it. Because even if you don't know how, you'll be smarter tomorrow. Yeah. Gerald, thank you. you. Ask other people, they'll help you get it done. I'm really grateful you could jump on this show with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the invite, Max. I really appreciate it. Yep, thank you. 